another Game of Junk Game Club. I am your host, John Lucero, and this is the show where we justify once a month why we named this show, why we named this channel, Games and Junk. All right, today I'll be joined by... Vanessa Keogh. Jason Ariola. And uh, we have a special guest, on, special guest on this episode today, a close personal associate of Vanessa Cahill, <laughs> uh, Jim Cahill. Could you please introduce yourself, Jim? Hey, I'm Jim Cahill, longtime listener, second time podcaster. Actually, I think this is your third now. Oh, I think you did two of the movies with. I think you bumped in because you bumped into Mortal Kombat or Street Fighter. I forget which one it was. Uh, yeah, and um, I think it was Mortal Kombat and maybe Doom. Mm. Well, arithmetic was never my strong suit. So, third time <laughs> podcaster. Yeah. And he's, he's guessed he's been like a, a background voice on something, right? Before, or were those those things? Anyway, it, yeah. it's all right. Welcome, Jim. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Jim's joining us here today to talk about arguably, I don't know, it's hard to, hard to argue against it, one of the five most important games ever, ever made, the 1986's The Legend of Zelda. Uh, I don't I feel like anyone listening to this podcast does not mean, need me to describe what The Legend of Zelda is. It is an adventure game uh, starring Link. He goes to fight Ganondorf to save Zelda. Uh, Jason, you picked this game. Can you uh, give, I'm sure there's plenty of reasons why, uh, <laughs> a quick description as to why uh, we are talking about Legend of Zelda today. Well, outside of it being the 35th anniversary of this game having yes. been released... This game in particular is very important to me, even if it's not my favorite entry in the series, just because of some of its, um, uh, let's say, vagueness in its descriptions. Uh, but I've got a lot of fond childhood memories attached to this game. The, I don't want to say, like, the story that I've told nearly over and over again on nearly every single, um, not necessarily, like, episode of each podcast, but I think every podcast I've done is when we first got our NES, my grandmother... She picked up the game on a complete whim from a coworker because it was a shiny gold cart with the name Zelda on it. And the reason the name Zelda jumped out um, to her was at the store she was working at prior to the Target she was working at. Um, somebody, they basically had been paging her over the intercom time and time and time again one day. And she got so fed up with it that she stopped answering and just continued her own work. And she, a fellow employee came up to her and said, hey, Florence, don't you, didn't you hear them? They're paging you. And she says, my name's not Florence, it's Zelda. And that's, that's adorable. Little, that little, little just thing is effectively what started a uh, 30 plus year love affair with the series for me. And I wanted to kind of celebrate this game's release because it's, it is an important game to a lot of people our age or by our age. I mean, uh, me and Jim's age, because we are the old people on the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Nothing but facts. There you go. Um, it's true. Uh, Jim, can you uh, can you uh, give us a little history with, uh, with Legend of Zelda? Yeah, it's 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 sentimental for me. So uh, I'm in my mid 40s. I remember when the the game came out. Uh, I remember wanting the NES. Um, it, it was advertised heavily during the uh, the holidays. I actually I just sent Vanessa uh, a rather funny commercial that I remember where uh, a guy who's in basically a black leotard uh, is going, Zelda, Zelda. Watch Zelda become a legend on your Nintendo Entertainment System. Zelda! After Acts! Which way to go? Good times! Pee-pee-pee-hands! Leavers! 
Zelda! 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 The Legend of Zelda. A never-ending adventure new for your Nintendo Entertainment System. Zelda! Uh, throughout the, the commercial. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah, 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 it's hideous. Yeah, it's awful. Mm-hmm. Oh, did you did uh, did you stumble across the uh, the Zelda rap one? Did you see the latest Nintendo newsletter? Whoa, nice graphics! I'd like to get my hands on that game. You mean you haven't played it yet? We can play it on my Nintendo Entertainment System. It's the Legend of Zelda, and it's really rad. Those creatures from Ganon are pretty bad. Octoroks, Tech Tech's levers too. But with your help, our hero pulls through. Yeah, go Link. Yeah, get some. Awesome. Intense. The Nintendo Entertainment System. Your parents help you hook it up. The Legend of Zelda sold separately. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah, we're, uh, it's like the young, um, Colonel Saunders, who's uh, next to the, the cool kid playing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sure. I was just dumbfounded that I wanted to play the game after I, I sent the commercial to her. But um, I mean, I'm someone who I mean, the NES was my first system. I kind of vaguely remember uh, the Atari 2600, but my brother played so much um, that my mom ended up giving it away. So the NES was really the the first system that I got to interact with. And it came with Mario. And then Zelda was the first game that I, I got that I really wanted. And um, like I said, I remember the a bunch of the marketing up to the holidays and then playing it and kind of meeting with my friends and kind of everybody talking about it. And it was a, a solo adventure. So it was like you'd, you'd go through and try and figure things out. And then you talk to your friends. What did you do? Whatever. But I just remember it was um, it was the first long form story game that I had ever played. Um, and I have by no means played the series as in depth as, as Vanessa, you or, or Jason um, have. But I just, um, for me, it just has this warm spot in my heart. And here I am, you know, years and years later, I can still remember much of the game without a walkthrough and, and you know, down to where to get heart containers and which brushes to burn to, to get 100 gold coin or 100 rupees. Um, all of that. So it's just, it, it's very sentimental for me. Vanessa, have you ever, have you ever played this prior to this podcast? No, um, I played other Zeldas, but, uh, I'll, I'll tell you more of my thoughts on this one later. I need more of like a, <laughs> I need more yeah. of a plot to really enjoy a game. <laughs> yeah. Okay. This, this was also my first time playing uh, this and I've played, I've played the majority of Zelda games. That's funny. I haven't, but I, I think the main, at least the mainline ones I've played the majority of. Um, so this was a, this was a cool experience to, uh, get to go back and play. So before we get into our personal impressions, uh, in the year 2021, Jason, is your lab coat on yet? Yes, it is always on. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if you could, uh, please try your damnedest to find any information on the legend of Zelda and, and let the people know what this obscure is all about. <laughs> okay. So, um, I, 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 again, I had to do some real internet sleuthing for this game because there's not a lot of information on it. Um, I, I, I do want to thank uh, Nintendo's websites and, uh, itself, uh, Wikipedia, Moby games, Jeremy Parrish, Glitterberry, Zelda's Gamepedia page, uh, the website fandom, VG Charts, uh, Clyde Mandolin's Legends of Localization book, and the Hyrule Historia for uh, the very, very slight amount of information I was able to uh, come across on this game. So um, I just figured I should cite my sources at the beginning here. This way uh, we don't uh, go thinking Jason just, uh, you know, uh, walked did actual walking around and figured out this stuff through books or something like that. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, I guess I did actually use two books. So never mind. Uh, yeah. 
So anyway, the Legend of Zelda was originally released on the Famicom Disk System February 21st of 1986. It would come to the NES in North America August 22nd, 1987. Now here, uh, hold on guys. Uh, Sweden, November 15th, 1987. And then Italy sometime in 1988. Uh, it was there was such an extensive delay between the Japanese release and in other territories because it was one of the most complex localizations that had kind of happened to date. Not only that, it just also simply wouldn't work on an NES card out of the box, needing to wait until the MMC One, a memory management controller uh, mapper chip, came out uh, for it to be possible for the M NES or Famicom cards to even be able to contain something as large as Zelda. Um, oddly, it wouldn't release on the Famicom itself on a cartridge until. February 19th, 1994, nearly four years after the Super Famicom released, and nearly three years after A Link to the Past came out. In the same year I was born. <laughs> no, just shut up. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, another odd late NES release was in Brazil, coming out in September of 1994. Um, a fun bit of trivia, buying it on the Famicom disc system, you could get a copy for 2,600 yen, which is, say, roughly about $26, $30 or so. Uh, but if you brought your own disc to write on at a kiosk, you could spend a whopping 500 yen. Wow. So in, a country, <laughs> so in a country where renting games is illegal, this was a way of actually doing this. So you could have, you know, foreseeably gotten The Legend of Zelda for effectively $5 in 1986 and maintained it for all those years. Granted, the discs in the Famicom disc system, um, the actual data is exposed, which makes it amazing that any of these games have survived to this point, but hey, you know, it's whatever. <laughs> also, the Famicom disc system is very prone to breaking uh, the rubber band thing it uses, so that that is a finicky, at best, system. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it is also one of the most successful Nintendo games, uh, being the first NES game to sell over a million units and selling a total of over 7 million physical units between the physical Famicom disc system, NES, Famicom, and GBA releases. Um, it only sold about three quarters of a million on the Game Boy Advance, though. But yeah, so most of those sales were kind of, you know, contemporary when this thing was new. Uh, it's been re-released a lot. Um, if you want, let's go over some of the more straightforward releases or re-releases for it. <laughs> Please, Jason, let us know. <laughs> okay, so the first and really only physical re-release readily available for a platform was the Game Boy Advance as part of the Famicom Mini and Classic NES series. Uh, since then, it's also been available digitally on the Wii, the Wii U, and the 3DS Virtual Console service. It's also included on the NES Classic Edition and part of the NES games for the Switch Online service. Uh, some of the more oddball releases, uh, two of which happen to be on the GameCube, the first was on Animal Crossing, one of the 19 Famicom NES games technically unlockable in Animal Crossing for the GameCube. I'm saying technically because it's not readily available in there. You can't just play Animal Crossing and find it like you would some of the other games part of the forbidden four of mario brothers super mario brothers and ice climbers you could only unlock it through a cheating device like an action replay so it's barely a re-release but technically it's available if you want it hmm. it was also bundled in the legend of zelda collector's edition for the gamecube which also included the adventure of link ocarina of time and majora's mask another one not really readily available to get this thing in japan you would need to go through club nintendo in north america it would come bundled with a gamecube you could also get it by subscribing to or renewing Nintendo Power or registering a GameCube and any combination of the two following games. Mario Kart Double Dash, Mario Party 5, Mario & Luigi Superstar Saga, or 1080 Avalanche. 
in Europe, you could either get it bundled with a GameCube um, or with Double Dash or order it through Club Nintendo. In the UK, people could send in a proof of purchase from some selected games uh, that are too substantial to list. I'm not going to do that to us. Um, or any game released in the Player's Choice Library. In the Netherlands, I told you I'm getting obscure here, as a gift for subscribing to the now-defunct Gamer magazine, um, you could get it that way. And finally, in Australia, you had to fill out a form, send in a proof of purchase, and a receipt to two of the following games between March and June of 2004. Uh, Mario Golf Toadstool Tour, 1080 Avalanche, Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles, Pokemon Channel, Talk and the Power of Juju, or Kirby Air Ride. Wow, that's a, that's a rough lineup. <laughs> yeah. 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 There's like the Mario Golf one, maybe? The rest yeah, of them is... Yeah, Mario Golf, I guess. Yeah, Kirby Air Ride, like, oh, here, here's the game that basically plays itself. Anyway, uh, the final oddball way of uh, sort of ended up being put on was... Eh, let's say moot at the end it was part of the 3d ambassador program being one of the 10 nes games given to people who uh, bought the 3ds early raising my hand at 250 dollars before the price drop of 170 it was also released this way september 1st um 2011 eventually making its way onto the 3ds virtual console july 5th of 2012 and when they did that they changed it from just a direct port to a virtual console release where you could have save states and things making it uh, i don't want to say actually playable to a younger generation but actually um, tolerable to play through so until the Wii Virtual Console release, the best way to play it um, kind of properly was probably the Collector's Edition um, on the GameCube. The Game Boy Advance version aspect ratio was off, causing flickering and border cutoffs not present in the original version. The Wii Virtual Console release would likely be played on a CRT TV, you know, considering the time that CRT TVs were still around then. Um, allowing for lag free play, proper aspect ratios, and being on a TV that the game's art was originally meant to be on. The Wii U and 3DS versions both played fine with no real problems with input lag, but were very dark for some reason. The NES Classic and Switch versions are definitely the go-to versions now, uh, since you can get a decent NES replica controller for the Switch fairly cheaply. The Switch is definitely the way to go these days. So that is all of the uh, oddball releases and just releases in general for that. So if you guys, is there anything you guys wanted to bring up about that before we move on to the actual development of the game? Um, I had a friend who had that that pack on GameCube. He got the GameCube with that in it. So that's how I first saw. That's actually how I first saw Zelda Two. We didn't. I don't think we ever played the first one together. But uh, yeah, that's the only. I guess personal tidbit. I did play this on uh, the Switch. The uh, the the NES uh service on a switch uh and it was it worked great other than the fact that the d-pad sucks on a switch on at least my switch um and that's everybody's had, switch yeah yeah the, uh, my wife's got the light oh on, right so, right the switch yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. so yeah, yeah so and i i'm jealous every day <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah but other than that it, it worked pretty great So as far as the development staff goes, uh, Hiroshi Yamauchi is credited as the executive producer, but not sorry, that's more of an honorific title as he was rarely involved in the games themselves. Um, in case any of you are unaware or anybody in the audience is unaware, Hiroshi Yamauchi, or Yamauchi uh, was the president of Nintendo for a long time with also some, um, let's say, questionable maybe uh, Yakuza ties. So... <laughs> oh, he, so he really, liked, he really liked the Yakuza series? Yes, he loved it. 
Okay. Uh, yeah, Kiryu is actually based on a younger version of Yamauchi. Uh, fun fact that nobody else will know because it's not true. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Shigeru Miyamoto uh, produced and co-directed it. Uh, Miyamoto, I hope, doesn't need much in the way of an introduction. He's got a long and storied career with Nintendo that started in 1977. Some of the inspiration for creating this game was exploring the hills, forests, and caves in his youth. I don't want to go into all of his credits, but needless to say, Nintendo likely wouldn't be where it is today if it wasn't for him and his creativity. Um, a fairly well-known uh, story, but he came up with the name um, of the series because of Zelda Fitzgerald, who is the wife of novelist F. Scott Fitzgerald, uh, he chose it because he thought it sounded pleasant and significant. Yep. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah. Also, uh, it lists off every Miyamoto project he's ever worked on, <laughs> uh, whether directed or produced, and then we can just end the podcast. It'll take another hour. <laughs> yeah, if you want a bonus segment of me listing off every uh, Miyamoto credit, I'll, uh, I'll go ahead and put that put that thing in there and I'll just read it off his Moby Games page. It'll probably add another hour to this podcast. So, yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, next person is Takashi Tezuka. He was the other co-director and the designer on the game. Tezuka isn't as well-known as Miyamoto, but is likely nearly as important when it comes to creating the games Nintendo is most famous for. Uh, he's worn many hats and is nearing 37 years with Nintendo, and to a casual fan, tends to be a little less known, as Miyamoto is the one that gets kind of paraded out for these things. Uh, going over just a highlight reel of his production and design credits reads more like a Hall of Fame accomplishment list. Uh, for the sake of brevity, and I'm really, really trying to be uh, con you know, concise with this, but you know, there's a lot to go over. I'll just run down his credits that uh, he was more hands-on for. They are Excite Bike, Super Mario Brothers, Super Mario Brothers 2, The Lost Levels, not uh, the U.S. Super Mario Brothers 2, uh, Super Mario Brothers 3, A Link to the Past, Super Mario All-Stars, Link's Awakening, Yoshi's Island, Tetris Attack, Super Mario 64, Star Fox 64, Ocarina of Time, Majora's Mask, Animal Crossing, Mario Sunshine, Wind Waker, Mario Kart Double Dash, Pikmin 2, New Super Mario Brothers, Twilight Princess, Donkey Kong, Jungle Beat, Super Mario 3D Land, Super Mario Galaxy 2, and... You know, that's probably enough. Uh, basically, Tezuka's had his hands in some of the biggest and most innovative titles Nintendo's ever produced and doesn't really get the credit he deserves, I feel. Uh, Tezuka also based the story and setting on the on various stories uh, like Lord of the Rings. So if, there's not really a lot of, I would say, crossover as far as that goes, but just the like kind of high fantasy setting he kind of mm. leaned in from Lord of the Rings on that for. Uh, next person is Keiji Teru. I think I'm saying that right. T-E-R-U-I. Uh, anyway, wrote the story in the instruction manual, which, to be fair, is most of the story in the game. Um, <laughs> it set up a lot for the imagination of kids like uh, Jim and I to fill in, uh, who had never seen anything like this game before. Teru said the Master Sword was inspired by the story of Excalibur, and that Death Mountain was part of a separate earlier story that was inspired by medieval European battles. And they ended up incorporating that idea um, into, or and the Triforce into Zelda. There were three programmers, which is really astounding when you think about how many people program games these days, and there was three people that programmed this game. Um, those people were Toshihiku, Nakago, Yasunari, uh, Sojima, and I, Marui. I'll get to that last one here in a bit. Uh, <laughs> Nakago, uh, who Satoru Iwata described as the uh, part of the Golden Triangle of Miyamoto and Tezuka, um, of Nintendo. He's currently the president of System Research and Development, SRD, and started working back there in 1979. SRD is a company that mostly does programming work for uh, Nintendo Entertainment Analysis and Development, otherwise known as EAD. Uh, he's worked on quite a few titles, ranging in roles from quality assurance, support, design, production, and programming, and engineering. 
Some of the more notable titles he's worked on are Super Mario Brothers, The Adventure of Link, Doki Doki Panic, Super Mario Brothers 3, A Link to the Past, Ocarina of Time, Majora's Mask, Wind Waker, Super Mario World, Yoshi's Island, A Link Between Worlds, Breath of the Wild, and Animal Crossing New Horizons. So he's still in the mix today. So uh, Sojima, near as I can find, doesn't have a public date that he started with Nintendo. His earliest credit I could find was F1 Race, which came out in late 1984. So it's safe to assume he's been around uh, since at least a little before then. Aside from F1 Race and Zelda, he also has a fairly impressive portfolio with A Link to the Past, Mario All-Stars, Ocarina of Time, Majora's Mask, New Super Mario Bros., and the 3DS ports of Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask and Animal Crossing New Horizons. And the last person is I Marui. They're a bit of a mystery, but there's speculation he's Tatsuo Nishiyama. Uh, Nishiyama goes by Maru Maru in some of his other credits, The Adventure of Link, Doki Doki Panic, A Link to the Past, and Super Mario Brothers. And I would say odds are fairly good about that, but there's nothing concrete to point uh, that it is him. Even Clyde Mandolin, uh, who is a professional localizer and wrote the Legends of Localization book, uh, trying to figure it out a few years ago on Twitter with uh, seemingly no success, included, including the... Um, updated version of legends of localization he confirmed that he still is not a hundred percent sure that it is them so and finally koji kondo handled the sound composition for the game uh kondo joined nintendo in 1984 and was their first hire that was brought on specifically to handle composing music and sound design originally kondo wanted to use a uh, Bellorio by maurice ravel but the copyright hadn't expired on it so he had to come up with the iconic zelda theme in one day to replace it Sometimes copyright laws aren't the worst. Uh, you know, we've still got this theme still rolling today. One day. One day. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. That is amazing. Really kind of puts your life in perspective when you think like, oh, he just came off that sort of like an emergency. Like, oh, shit, I got to come up with something else. Uh, <laughs> uh. So Kondo shouldn't really need much in the way of an introduction either. His work on Zelda and Mario was iconic. Um... He's not really composing whole soundtracks by himself these days, instead supervising and advising other staff members on sound design and adding additional compositions to games when need be. Some of the other titles he's composed and done sound design on are Punch-Out, Super Mario Bros., Doki Doki Panic, Mario Bros. 3, Super Mario World, A Link to the Past, Tetris Attack, Yoshi's Island, Super Mario 64, Star Fox 64, Ocarina of Time, and Majora's Mask, with Ocarina of Time, I believe, being the last one or the last Zelda game that he composed everything for. It's probably my favorite one of his, too. See, and that's the that's one of the ones where I really just that not a soundtrack I'm really into as far as the Zelda music goes. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I love Ocarina of Time. <laughs> I love all like the weird you, uh, the temp, the temple songs. No, I was curious. So I know Vanessa loves Ocarina of Time. I wasn't sure if it was the music they called to her or just the game itself, but she clarified it, it's the music and the temples that really sold her. Well, all of it too, but yeah, mostly I, I really like I, I like the idea of Ocarina of Time. <laughs> Got a cool plot. I like the idea of Ocarina of Time, too. I don't like the act of playing it too much these days. Ah, uh, you know, that's pretty good. Yeah. 
I must admit that the D like just hold it like holding the DS versus like the switch, my hands (laughs) can't do it. (laughs) It is a little hard. Yeah. I mean, I've got small hands. So, and even then it's like, Oh, this is definitely not as comfortable. So, all right. So uh, some other like little factoids here and it's not little, unfortunately, as you guys have seen just based on everything else I've (laughs) talked about here so far Um, should go without saying, but this is a milestone release for the eight bit era. Um, Even Nintendo of America realized that much kind of going all out with an ad campaign and special packaging, not just the gold cartridge, but the packaging itself was special. Uh, This may have been the first Nintendo release where it didn't um, use sprites from the game as part of the cover art. Instead, going with a gold box with a shield on it with the upper left quadrant open so you could see the golden cartridge inside. It is also one of the earliest examples of an action RPG in the West, especially on a console. While Namco, um, who developed Tower of Draga, which is a sort of similar game, uh, Nihon Falcom also did the Dragon Slayer series around this time, and TNE Software, which did Hydalide, um, had made some good steps in bringing some action into the RPG genre. It wasn't until The Legend of Zelda came out that the genre really got some mainstream attention. I would say, while it doesn't have a claim to being the first action RPG, it certainly does strike one of the best balances between the two genres. It would at least codify, in my opinion, what an action RPG could be on a console, even if it leaned a little bit more on the action side of those things. This would also be the game that the Super Mario team worked on right after they finished that, even though they were working on this while also developing Super Mario Brothers. So... Let that all sink in that these people were, you know, in their 20s, and I think Kondo was even in his teens, um, maybe even just 20, working on two of the most iconic video games ever made uh, at the same time. Really. I mean, the whole, the the fact that they're also still, the length of time they they did it all for, too, is just astounding. And uh, their track record is insane. Yeah. Like, like that list you gave for all of them is just banger after banger after banger it's, yeah uh, yeah yeah it's impressive like like i said like just a handful of those games for each of these people are like oh this deserves for you to be in the video game hall of fame if you know there really is one and then it's just like oh here's five here's 50 more that i've worked on that are just absolute classics or at least important to the industry itself it's it's impressive and it's also deeply disheartening when you see where like I am in my life and I'm like, Oh God, <laughs> that's oh, here. I am doing a podcast. Okay, cool. Anyway. <laughs> hey, fake radio is fine. Yeah. Fake radio with my friends over the internet is fine. That's my wife calls it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, so this, uh, so legend of Zelda was originally kind of partially made to show off what you could do with the additional storage space and also save it in game uh, with the Famicom disc system. Uh, some early ideas were to have it more dungeon based, like wizardry, also taking place in the first person's perspective, there are some design or some like early design photos of it actually being in first person, which is kind of weird. Um, Tower of Juraga, which released on the Famicom in um, August or on August 6, 1985 in Japan, probably had a little influence on the way The Legend of Zelda turned out. Um, Jeremy Parrish um, points out on his NES Works video series that the perspective is very similar and a lot of the dungeon kind of aspect and the way it works is fairly similar. And that uh, to think that Nintendo didn't see this and was like, oh, hey, this will probably work better. Is maybe a little naive at best. I kind of do wonder if the game would have turned out slightly differently if it came out after Dragon Quest, which released just three months after Zelda. You can kind of see a lot of the inspiration it took from the NES version of Tower of Juraga, but it, I mean, it has the same perspective, a lot of the dungeon structure is similar, and the combat from Zelda feels a little bit borrowed from Tower of Juraga, so... It wears its influences on its sleeve, and I do wonder if it would have turned out a little differently if... Dragon Quest had come out if they would have tried to like action orient that a little bit more than like the what they sort of 
borrowed liberally from uh, Tower of Druaga. And also, while not the first video game to use it, uh, that, as near as I could tell, and believe me, this was a shit ton of digging, um, that honor kind of goes to the a port of Falcom's Dragon Slayer to the Cassette Vision, a Japan-only console, and it was also used in some pinball machines. Uh, Zelda used a battery to allow data to be saved, allowing the password system that was such a pain in the ass in games like Metroid and Kid Icarus to be ditched, finally. Apparently, these batteries were only meant to work for a few years. At, even in the instruction manual, it says five, but, you know, 30-something years later, mine still works. It basically supplies power to a backup memory cache, allowing it to maintain that even when disconnected from the NES power source. And the reason, I another thing I learned from Legend of the Localization, why you have to hold in reset and then press power when you do this and say, you know, turn off the game so it doesn't erase the data, is when you turn off the game just by pressing power, there is a very brief, like, moment of complete blackout from the nes and it rewrites things onto different parts of the memory whereas if you and it's kind of a little unpredictable if you do it by pressing reset and then pressing the power button it does that and it's in a predictable manner so they were able to compensate for it that way so it's a neat little trick and kind of astounding that those damn things still work like i said i mean you know we're going on 35 years and i think my cart was like a launch one so i have a battery that's working 35 years you know or 30 something years down the road Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Built-in obsolescence wasn't something they were doing in 86. Apparently not. Legend of Zelda S. The team worked on making it work in as little space as possible so effectively that they made it work on less than half the space they intended. This is something that actually happened with uh, Pokemon. Oh, God, what's the second generation? Um, John, can you help me with that? Off the top of your head. The second um, second generation, like the <laughs> gold, silver? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, yeah, yeah. gold and silver. Um, yeah. This is something that they did, or that was done in there. That was that was by um, Iwata kind of coming in and saving the day with the programming on that. But um, they did it so effectively here that they took up half the space they intended, and this led to them making the second quest, uh, truly making Zelda a... A never-ending adventure. And finally, the series would go on to be one of Nintendo's most popular franchises, even... Early on, it inspired cereal, merchandise, and a cartoon show that ran for 13 episodes. Well, excuse me, princess. Uh, so popular, uh, Nintendo even put out a Game & Watch in 1989 and a Game Watch, which was a very parsed-down version of The Legend of Zelda on a watch. I have no idea how it works, but it's one of those things I wish I had purchased in my early 20s when I had uh, nearly zero financial responsibilities. It's also gone on to, I don't know, I didn't bother counting because I figured it's not really the point of this podcast, but it has gone on to have more than 10 sequels, dozens and dozens of spinoff things, and the series itself has crept into other series itself. Even there's a Game & Watch, the I believe it was for the Game Boy Color release, where the Game & Watch um, version of the legend of zelda is on that collection so uh, there is just an insane amount of ways to play this series and live in that world and i didn't know about all of these when i did this especially the um well i knew let me see i'm trying to think of the one i didn't know i play i don't well maybe i didn't know about all of them Jeez, louise <laughs> uh, never mind yeah no yeah, oh no no yeah yeah you know yeah, you know what I didn't know was the um, the Famicom version, the actual cartridge coming out in 1994. I knew there was two different versions of it. I didn't realize it came out so late in the Famicom's life that it was completely obsolete at that point. <laughs> so, and with that, I shall retire the lab coat for this episode. And that Ooh. was extensive and enlightening and fun to listen to. I don't know. 
I'm being yeah, honest. Yeah, way so to go. Was, so, <laughs> it's probably my favorite ones. Favorite one of those you've done so far. The, yeah, sorry, uh, you're not quite you're not quite as good as our um, special guest last time. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? No, I'm not. That's why. <laughs> yes, but God, that developer that developer history is unsurprisingly extensive, but still astonishing at the same time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> You know, I, I just wish you could have found something on this. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. I, I know the information I found was a little sparse, but I figured, eh, you know, maybe uh, maybe for this episode we'll try to keep it a little light, right? Yeah, that was, you know, keep it a little short for the 35th anniversary. Let, let people really enjoy it, you know. They're all out there playing this game right now. Yeah, yeah. I, I went for uh, 35 little, little tiny tidbits, not uh, 35 paragraphs worth of information. 35 30th anniversary. You're welcome, everyone. Uh, well, uh, after after uh, Jason's extensive research, I guess it's time to actually talk about playing Legend of Zelda, which we all all did uh, recently. And uh, did we all complete it recently? Uh, I, I did. Jason did. And Jim, did you? How recently have you beaten Legend of Zelda? Yes, I uh, I, I took it out in a, a very short period of time and, and proved I am still connected to my youth. <laughs> <laughs> Midlife crisis averted. There we go. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> there we go. Averted or fully embraced? Yeah, I'm not fully, sure which. It's, like, it's kind of the same thing. Little from uh, column A, little from column B. You know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, That's how you make the soup. So, uh, as a first-time player of this game that is uh, eight years older than me, um, Jesus. I really enjoyed it. I had a great time. I, first of all, I like the Zelda series quite a bit. It's one of my it's one of my favorite series. I had always meant to play this game, just never got around to it, and always thought, you know, it's 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 a very daunting game for how old. Not just because it's old, just because of you know, it's it's a hard game. Uh, so I used the walkthrough to to uh, so I could fully enjoy it, and also extensively used the rewind feature on the Switch as well, which was uh, <laughs> that helped that helped in some that helped me. Uh, you know, uh, just uh, bull rush through a few uh, sections that might have been more frustrating, or wouldn't have been if I was more patient. But I just, I just wanted to get through the game. Uh, I used ZeldaDungeon.net, by the way, it was an excellent walkthrough, very, very in depth with all the all the screens and advice for every screen and all that stuff. But yeah, I think I was just impressed by how how fun it's how, how genuinely fun it was still it still is to play. Even um, with my frustrations with the Switch D-pad itself, I thought, for the most part, a lot of the game felt relatively fair. There were a few enemies in the game that I um, were a little, a little annoying. <laughs> the blue wiz robes can go get fucked. Yeah, yeah, blue wiz robes can go fuck themselves uh, real hard. <laughs> I finally discerned the pattern um, yeah. in in the middle of Death Mountain, so I, I figured, or like Spectacle Rock or whatever it is, I finally figured it out there, and I was like, oh great, this is way too late in the game to. Have gotten yeah, this that, to be useful and at that point they're already throwing those fucking paralyzing balls at you all the time too i hate those things god i hate those things mm. um <laughs> but other than that i uh, i had a really i had a really great time i think the only thing i didn't do i missed one of the bomb upgrades because i didn't have enough rupees at the point at that point in time uh to buy it so i only had 12 bombs at the end but that was fine i, had, I didn't need whatever 18 or 20 or whatever the upgrade is um, 16 16 mm-hmm you had rewind. I did. I mean, I, I couldn't. This is a point where you can't rewind. You can only rewind so far. You know, I didn't have. I did not. Have, I was not that that close on rupees. 
but uh, I had just spent them on, I think, a potion refill. Anyway, yeah, I had a, I had a great time. Vanessa, the first time player, what did you think? Yeah, I feel um, about the same. I really, I enjoyed it. I'm, I'm really happy I had a walkthrough. I think I, I cannot imagine having the patience to go through this game without that walkthrough. Overall, I thought it was good. I really, really appreciate being able to rewind, especially my what were they called? Dark, dark nuts. Those the, things. Yeah, the, the, the nights. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the dark, nights really got nuts. me. I really, those ones really challenged me. And then not having like I don't know. I wish there was more health available. I wish I had uh, more money. I spent like a long time in the graveyard just trying to get rupees. <laughs> <laughs> so besides like a couple of tedious tasks, I did have a nice time playing it. And I'm happy I got to go through it, and it, it gave me great enjoyment to like um, kind of see what all of the games I love are based on. And also like I, I can I can appreciate you know the great bounds of this game that it made during its time, and then. It was. It's always nice to watch Jim excited about a video game, which isn't too too often. So he was really, really excited about it. So that yeah. was cute. <laughs> yeah, you said like it's the it show. I'm talking about the roots of the game, and they really did nail nail the formula like immediately. Like it's it's mm-hmm. it's crazy how much of you know. And I knew I knew before I played it how much, but it, it is still impressive how much of like core Zelda is is already in this game. There are very few things that they actually added over time, other than you know different camera angles or you know in, in dimensions <laughs> but uh, uh, uh clue, clue, clues to where where secrets are <laughs> yes that was probably the biggest one the biggest no 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 decipherable clues as to where yes. things are <laughs> 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 yeah uh, oh real quick i want to throw in a little bit of trivia here uh since vanessa brought up the dark nuts the japanese name for them is actually tart nuck that is uh tart <laughs> and then n-u-c do you guys want to guess why they decided to not go with that name I'll give you a hint. Spell it backwards. T A R T N U C. That's cute. <laughs> yeah, 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 uh, yeah. Um, also, weird a little bit of trivia too. The um, elimination when you go to the name registration or the you know uh, profile selection screen in the Japanese or in the Japanese version, it is not elimination. It is kill. <laughs> love it yeah, yeah. wow <laughs> the hardcore stuff i want, I want my zelda. yeah see uh, zelda was the original dark souls before dark souls so yeah <laughs> and then they ruined it with wind waker i love wind waker i'm just, yes. I'm just <laughs> no they ruined it with skyward sword amazing <laughs> <laughs> uh jim how about yourself how how was playing this game for how many times have you beaten zelda could you could you actually answer that question probably around a dozen times i've got a figure just between childhood and whatever i've never actually beaten the uh the second quest okay but the the first quest i've i've beat multiple times it was great i mean it it was one of those things where it's from a sentimental standpoint you're like gosh this is this is fantastic this still you know the story everything about it it just holds up from a graphics and just interface perspective it's like oh wow we we were really just pushing pixels around a screen um, <laughs> and loving it. it. And so it was just, it, it was pretty wild to see how far things have come. I was super excited. We got a switch when breath of the wild came out. Mm-hmm. And I remember telling Vanessa like, Oh my gosh, this is like, this is what we all kind of like in our head thought is kids. Zelda could be, it was just yes. this expansive wide yeah. open world. Yeah. Um, uh, Jim, I, I, I don't want to say, can be this is i think what we thought zelda was when we were kids because our imaginations filled in a lot of these gaps exactly yes that's what i was trying to say um 
And so just to, to go back and revisit that, um, I, I'm not good at uh, probably separating that sentimentality out from my childhood and, and just those happy memories. So um, still super fulfilling, really enjoyed it. Um, I also went through with 12 bombs, completely missed wherever my, my first bomb upgrade was, but eh, regardless. Yeah, you, said, you mentioned the Breath of the Wild thing, and I, I kind of came at it from the reverse because Breath of the Wild is my favorite Zelda game. Um, and I had always, everyone always says it's the closest to the first, like it's closest to capturing what the first Zelda game was trying to do. Yeah. And I actually, I actually felt that when I was playing this. I don't know. There's still a little bit of magic there, even for how old it is. Uh, I think it's the fact that they create a lot of screens in the game that don't necessarily need to be in the game. They're that they add to the, you know, the feeling of traveling and having and learning learning a new space and all that kind of stuff. So, and and also you can go to a lot of different. You, can, you, you, you don't have to necessarily tackle it in a specific order. You kind of should, but there are a few, you can do a few things out of order, which is not yeah. always possible in Zelda. So Yeah. That was actually one of the best things as a kid going through this, where it was like you end up in a place where you're like, oh, cool, there's a dungeon over here. Oh, I don't want to mess with those. Yeah, I'm not ready for those enemies yet. I'm going to run away. There was a realness about the danger of kind of what you could get yourself into by being in the wrong area. Uh, that was really, really cool, and in much in the same way, Breath of the Wild. Um, although they do kind of gate when you get the whatever the little uh, paraglider thing is, uh, same kind of concept. Uh, Jason, what are, what are your thoughts on Zelda in twenty twenty one? I was texting Vanessa last night actually about this, and I. I went the, I guess, uh, in-depth route for us uh, on this podcast because I um, hooked it up and played it on my NES, beat it that way, so and only died six times. Two of them were on a, about a month prior to recording that I went through and was just kind of grinding rupees for the Magic Shield and some other upgrade things that I wanted before I really tackled anything. And then I pretty much plowed through all of the dungeons in more or less one sitting yesterday. So mm -hmm. I beat the game in like one sitting. I am really, really amazed at how good The Legend of Zelda still feels to this day. I mean, there's been so many imitators and so many clones of this like genre, even Zelda itself, you know, iterating upon itself. For me, I always feel like this is the hard one to go back to or recommend because it's the most obtuse one i would say and also at times the least forgiving and also without a walkthrough it is it is a game you have to dedicate time to jim alluded to this too but i probably spent months beating this as a child this was one of those games that i took notes for i begged my parents for graph paper so i could draw the maps i drew maps out try to figure out where everything was i wrote down like okay on this square this you know this far in this is um you know the bush you burn and what is in that bush so i had this like flow chart of everything too and coming back to it like i i didn't go as far as jim did as far as trying to do this by memory i did a little bit by memory and then i was like you know what? i, I want to finish this tonight so i just got a walkthrough of the dungeons i was like okay so kind of an overview of it and looked i'm like oh okay so this is where everything is i'll just kind of plow through it by memory from there and it feels really good and I'm just really astounded at how big this world mm -hmm. is. And as you said, John, there's those empty spaces that don't need to be there, but they don't feel like filler. It feels like, oh, I'm going to explore this place. Oh, there's nothing there. But on the next screen above it, there's something there. So there's it always feels like there's something titillating on the edges of this game that you always feel like you're going to go and find something interesting and cool. And I love A Link to the Past. It is my favorite Zelda and, you know, my second favorite game ever. But the only other game in the Zelda series that evokes this feeling is Breath of the Wild. There, mm -hmm. There's always that, just over the horizon, there's something there. Oh, can I go there? Yes, I can. 
And this game, I think, just wrangled the shit out of the hardware and what it was capable of doing and just made this... It's not perfect by a long shot, but just this amazing adventure on a you know a, a console at this point that's nearly nearing 40 years old and it the game itself being 35 years old the fact that it can hold up to you know you and uh, Vanessa in like you know fresh eyes as like oh this game actually is pretty good and fun is a testament to just how well designed this thing was even if you know this was the building blocks for everything as far as this genre goes but I also went out and uh, played it on every system that it was possible to play it on outside the disc system because uh, thoroughness and the Animal Crossing thing I didn't do because I don't have an action replay for my GameCube. So, But I, I hooked up my GameCube to try it. I got out my Game Boy Advance and tried it on my Game Boy Advance. Um, yeah. So I and then you know I, I messed around with it on the Wii U Virtual Console, the NES Classic that I have, and then the uh, Switch release. But I ultimately I felt like the NES version was the way to go for me, just because I prefer the way the NES controller feels for that game, and the complete lack of any sort of lag input uh, really helped with my old man reflexes. <laughs> uh, yeah, it it really is crazy how good it still is for what I mean. You know, while the, while making Super Mario Brothers, they also made this. Also, I mean, cause that that game holds up pretty well too. I think this game holds up better than the first Mario does, just because it it's, it feels a little more modern than that game does. It's impressive. I'm just curious, reading the room, who prefer? What did you guys prefer, the overworld or the dungeons? Dungeons for sure. <laughs> a map. Yeah. I just need a map. <laughs> Jim, what do you prefer? <laughs> Gosh, how do I separate them? Um, it's hard to, right? It is. I think, um, not to just be contrarian with my wife, but um, I, I'll say the overworld. Uh, it, it was just bigger. Um, and Vanessa's favorite part, there is no map. So you have to either be an old man and have the memory of roughly where things are in the game or, you know, like Jason was saying, you got to, you know, get out the graph paper and do it or, or use the interwebs that these kids are talking about. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, or doing radio shows on. <laughs> <laughs> yes, doing radio shows with your friends on the internet, you know. Which I actually have to give uh, Jason some some big props for uh, for only six deaths uh, playing on the NES the, the original way. I did, like, I don't want to give the wrong impression. I did cheat and use some rewind functionality, especially against the uh, the Dark Nuts in the, you know, the upper level dungeons. Uh, there's some times when they get real, real challenging, especially yeah. if you're running low on potion or, or whatever, and you're just trying to get out. So that that's seriously impressive. Um, I'll actually say it was actually probably closer to four because the first two, um, I had died because um, I, don't, I, I, well, yeah. And I, you know what I, Jim, I learned something. You don't actually need to kill yourself to save. You can plug the controller in. If you have a second controller, you can put it into the second port, press up and a, I believe, and then pop it back over to the, and it'll save the game. No. Yeah. That is something I just found out, uh, like yesterday. <laughs> so, wow. <laughs> yeah. So all those years, all those years, I didn't need to do that. Like literally like, I'd say in my like early 20s when I played this game again, I didn't want the death count on my NES uh, or on that file. So I started it and let it be on for probably a week while I played it. <laughs> so my NES did not yeah. turn off for a week while I went through it. So I got a zero death count run. 
Nice. Yeah. But again, I was, uh, you know, a, a nearly 18 uh, year younger man at that point. So <laughs> I just can't believe that I didn't know that when I was, I mean, like I got this in 87, so 34 years and I, I didn't know that. And I spent some quality time with the NES and, you know, that, that 10 to, you know, 13, 14 year age range. Disappointing. And, and you know, what's also funny is it is in the instruction manual. I poured over that instruction manual for the lore, the story, just learning everything I could about this world. Because like you, Jim, I probably filled in a lot of what wasn't in the game with my imagination. And what was in the manual was so in-depth and really just fleshed out a lot of the world. But it did it just enough that your imagination could run wild with a lot of the stuff that I don't think I looked at the, um, let's say, system stuff very much. So it is sitting there in the instruction manual in the goddamn game that, it, you know, that and <laughs> I did not know that at all. I was, you know, 38 years. I, I, was, I was, you know, today years old uh, when I learned that. So <laughs> I was like, oh, cool. Devastating. I, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I had no idea. So yeah, there we all learned something. <laughs> That's spectacular for any of your listeners who are of a, a similar age as us. They, they should definitely put in the comments whether they knew that or not. Yeah. I just used left trigger, right trigger to create a save point, create a suspend, you know, point. That's what I did. Yeah. <laughs> i i wanted to be the maniac and actually played on the nes because i got through the first like three or four dungeons and i was like you know i don't think i need to do this and then i was like playing it a little more and my son got into watching me who he is six years old and has a severe case of adhd and i'm not saying that it's like oh god he can't pay attention like he's literally diagnosed with it and he was enthralled watching me play so i was like okay you know what we're just gonna go through the entirety of this thing i think in one shot and he watched me from like the third dungeon on and was just captivated by it was asking questions how i knew this stuff where like what that was like what do those bad guys do why why did you use the arrows on those little rabbit things you know all, all these little questions it was like well this is how this is why and he is a very i want to say a weirdly old soul but he loves nes games he has spent more time playing nes games on his switch than he has super nintendo games nice and that is not, and that is not me pushing him into anything. I, I'm not one of those parents that like you play what I played when I was a kid. I'm like, if you want to play it, cool. If not, don't worry about it. Like you, you know, games are not much better, but a lot more um, friendly uh, these days. And I don't try to force my kids to have the same experiences I did as a kid playing video games. And they, I think that's benefited them a lot because they've just come into these things on their own and of their own interests, not me forcing it down their throat and be like, well, dad made me play this stupid looking game that Link looks like a scrotum, you know? Does he have a favorite NES game? Uh, Mario Brothers 2. Oh, it's a, it's a good choice. That's a cool game. He a, loves that game. We were actually yeah. watching, um, I forget what the what the name of the series is, but um, it's a Netflix documentary. It's like a six part series, and he saw Super Mario Brothers two and just thought it was the coolest looking thing, and he played the hell out of that thing. I think he got to the last level and just kind of got stuck and finally threw in the towel on it. But I mean, he he played through it. I mean, he is a the kid is a champ with that stuff. He loved. Oh yeah, and then he saw a Wizard. Then we watched The Wizard together, which is just a uh, you know hour and a half <laughs> yeah, uh, long infomercial yeah, for uh, yeah. Super Mario Brothers three, and immediately it was like jumped to his switch when I told him it was on there and just played the hell out of it. <laughs> Interesting. That's, he's a big Fanto fan, big Mario Brothers two fan. Loves, loves to get chased by Fanto. <laughs> um, so Jason, uh, Overworld Dungeons. What do you what do you what do you think? What are you thinking? Um, in your gut honestly I, I immediately go to overworld because the dungeons feel like a task the overworld feels like the exploration and that's sort of what i'm there for with the legend of zelda the 
when I was playing it as a kid, I lived for that overworld because there was just so much there. The dungeons, there was secret stuff, but it was like, you know, little chunks of things to explore, whereas the overworld was just this gigantic thing that felt like it didn't ever end. And there was just so much to find. And I spent so much time on that thing. And even going back to it now, like, I, I still feel like that's my favorite part, even though I will say the dungeons, I think, mechanically are probably the better part of the game because, you know, they give you a purpose, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But it's that overworld just holds so much nostalgia for me going back to it that I, I have a hard time really saying that I prefer the dungeons more. Now, I do like the music for the dungeons and just how intense it feels. It really sets a good mood, especially the um, the one, um, you know, Ganon's one that's mm-hmm. completely different than every other. I mean, you got to think there's like, I think, three different or no uh, four total uh, unique real tracks for this game and ganon's dungeon has one for itself that is completely unique to everything else so it's like really kind of gives you an indication of how koji kondo was going for stressing that that part was important Yeah, and it, I mean, four four tracks also, and they all they're all they all bang. So <laughs> they're all it's that overall the overall theme is theme is amazing. Mm-hmm. So uh, which is good because you're walking around in a whole bunch. But yeah. uh, I also <laughs> lean overworld myself. Uh, it just I can't, the Breath of the Wild being my favorite exploration is my favorite part of that game, um, and this game does capture that. Uh, I think uh, that. When, once I, that first time I actually navigated without, without the guide navigated my way to a place on the map on my own, so it felt pretty good just because I had done done the routes so much. I'm like, actually, I think I know how to get back from here. And then I, you know, being able to do it was felt pretty good. And uh, that being said, uh, you know, in fairness to Vanessa, I would like to talk about the dungeons because you know, <laughs> again, large aspect of the game, uh, they're uh, you have to do them to beat the game. <laughs> so. <laughs> Uh, they, I, I think they're all pretty good. You know, they're they are rather samey. You know, they as in pretty much exactly the same design, like look wise for the most part, mm-hmm. other than some some color scheme at the entrance of the of each dungeon. Yeah, I was gonna say the color uh, scheme is really the only difference. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but they were they're still pretty fun. And the getting the dungeon map, uh, you know, the, the compass is still relatively useless, but uh, the the dungeon map is always always felt good to get and um 
I think it was a good te- it was good at teaching you about you know testing for secret walls and stuff and when and really reading the map and be like actually there's a room right there I wonder if I can just bomb into this room and then telling me able to do it felt really good. Um, I do think some of the enemies in dungeons were pretty frustrating even more so than some of the small enemies on the overworld uh, could be. I, I, on the, speaking of overworld enemies, I hate those fucking pinwheel things. Oh, stupid. the pea hats. Yeah, they they should die. I hate them all. Yeah, yes. they're so because they like you. You can't hit them unless they on the ground, but they're never on the ground immediately. So they're just like it's just you just walk by them. So it's mm-hmm. like oh my god. Yeah. Anyway, and there's uh, also no yeah. real reliable way of waiting for them to drop down. There's there's no time frame. It's just a random yeah. number generator yeah, thing. Really them. awful. Really yeah. awful. I'd yeah. rather rather fight six Lionels than those fuckers. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, at least I'd go faster. At least, at least I'd go faster. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, but yes, then the dungeons themselves, I do, I do think they, they do, I think overload a bit. Some of the, some of the, uh, enemy placement and especially later on. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's like, uh, just like likes and paralyzing balls and, dark nuts and whiz robes and everything in between, in between it gets it gets a little it gets a little much i think uh in the back half uh, i thought there was a better balance in the first few dungeons uh they felt, everything felt more manageable um and they all did you follow the same pattern of find the find, you don't have they don't actually that's not true you don't, you don't need to find the secret item in every dungeon some of the um they're not all necessary to pass they're all great to get i do so you should get them but uh and then usually using that item to beat the boss, which is you know, I should I can say I I guess I can't say classic Zelda because it's literally the one that invented it. You yeah, know? <laughs> this is yeah. yeah so <laughs> so uh, really showing its roots here, right? Yeah, yeah, really showing its roots. <laughs> uh, the and uh, the uh, would you you guys have any boss fights that stand out to you, or you just thought whether good or bad? Yeah. They were yeah. all. Like, and I get it, right? Like, the dungeon's really hard, so you don't want to make the boss too hard. But the bosses are pretty, like, I was expecting a little bit more from the bosses. I'm happy that there weren't more, but I was expecting to be a little bit more. <laughs> Some of them felt like I just whacked my sword at them a bunch. Uh, I didn't really have this thing. Pretty much all I did, and they died. <laughs> yeah. Even Ganon, uh, you kind of, the way to beat him is kind of just poke your sword around a bunch. <laughs> yeah. Hope for the best. Yeah. Like, literally, <laughs> though. Like, literally, that's the strategy of beating yeah. Ganon. I'm feeling yeah. great. <laughs> Uh, Jason, you have any any boss thoughts? Um, I think they did a nice job of like giving you a little bit of a challenge with something different, but also realizing that a lot of players, by the time they got there, might be getting close to death. So not making them so ridiculously challenging that they're going to have to like get back mm-hmm. out and come back through. I think it's something that the series has done pretty well throughout, where the bosses are a challenge, but they're not ridiculous. You know? Yeah, it's never like it's. I know Dark Souls gets called modern Zelda, but you know you never you never have a Dark Souls level boss you're dealing with in a Zelda game. No, uh, uh, Jim, you have any you have, you have any boss thoughts? No, I, I think it's kind of the uh, the echoing the the comments of the others. It really uh, the bosses weren't too terribly challenging uh, in terms of uh, getting to that piece of Triforce, um, but it was a nice it was a nice cap to to each level. You felt good by that time and. Uh, I know that a lot of times you are pretty drained on hearts by the time you get to them. So um, at least knowing you can get past them by blowing up a bomb or shooting them in the eye with an arrow or waving your sword around as is most of the most of the bosses um, you can get through. 
Yeah, I also thought it was kind of lame that they utilized the same dragon boss later on at the, the, first, <laughs> the first boss. Is it the first boss? Yes, it yeah. is the first boss. Yeah. <laughs> and you, you you fight him again. You kind of you, you wipe the floor with him because you're way stronger at that point. I mean, he is and he is not. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there is a. There's a there's a nice little hard mode trick for that if you want. Um, if you have the recorder, or the whistle, uh, you blow it a few times, it'll piss him off so much he'll start shooting like balls of energy like everywhere. Like it, it just gets really intense. Huh. That's oh. I, I, the uh, all the all the little special item tricks were pretty cool. You know, uh, the classic Gomo one, shoot him in the eye with the with the arrow, and then or Dodongo blowing up, blowing him up, and all that shit. Uh, it's it's cool that, that it's funny that, that even that stuff is like rooted in the very first game. So that's uh, that was kind of cool, but yeah, that dumb dragon who's basically just the Mega Man Two dragon. Uh, <laughs> and, Not wrong, uh, Gail. I'm pretty sure it's the origin story because you murder this dragon, then he comes back as a robot later on, and like and <laughs> yeah, they Mega just piece Man him back 2. together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they so, rebuilt him, made him stronger. Yeah. Before I mean, we I talk about moments, I just want to. I mean, Zelda music it's it's fantastic. We I'm sure we all enjoyed the music in this game, even if, even the few tracks. Uh, I just wanted to shout out. Because uh, Jason did a recent Rock Out with a Card Out in honor of Legend of Zelda, which is very good, where he goes through the, to the tracks in this game and um, remixes as well. So uh, I, I do recommend the listeners of this podcast listen to that one as well to get the full Zelda experience. Uh, if anyone wants to shout out anything about the music that, that really st- really sticks with them or anything like that, please feel free to. I just wanted to take this moment to, to, to mention that. Maybe something about the sound design. I had no idea. I mean, I knew there was a difference in the soundtrack between the Famicom um, version or the Famicom Disk System version and the NES mm-hmm. version. The sound effects, too, are substantially different. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, the, the sound for the sword beam, it's mm-hmm. not quite as heavy sounding in the Famicom disc version. It's a lot lighter, almost sounds a little bit more magical in a sense, but it doesn't have that same like feeling of like, oh yeah, I'm full power and just I'm going to, you know, shoot this shit from way off the other screen and just kill you from there. It And the bomb sound isn't, I, I don't want to say it doesn't sound like a bomb sound, but um, Jim, I'm sure if I played a, a Zelda bomb sound, you could, you might not be able to place it for a, um, you know, specific video game, but you would be, oh yeah, that's an 8-bit bomb going off or an 8-bit explosion. Yeah, the Famicom Disc one does not really sound like a bomb going off. There's a whole bunch of tiny little things. Um, I'll in the show notes, I'll put a link to um, Clyde Mandolin's um, YouTube video where he did a like side by side comparison of each of the tracks, um, how they sound differently on the Famicom Disc system and the NES, as well as the sound effects themselves. Like I said, when I heard the the sword one, I was like, oh, oh goodness, that's that's not great. <laughs> so. But yeah, so, uh, you know, I, I, I believe Koji Kondo also did that. So I, and, you know, just had to redo it because the, um, you guys might not be aware, the Famicom Disk System had an extra sound channel that the NES doesn't have. The NES is capable of four sound channels or has four sound channels and the Famicom Disk System has five. Mm. So that's why the slight difference in them. And a lot of, from what I read of uh, the Legend of Localization book, the preference seems to be which one you grew up with, basically. Like, a lot of, you know, Japanese players will hear the NES one and be like, oh, that sounds empty or too mechanical. And then we'll hear their version, and it's like, oh, that sounds a little too flighty and not really impactful enough. Hmm. It's funny how that stuff works, isn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you also mentioned the laser sword, and just, like, one of the all-time great power-ups. Or it's not even really a power up. It's just you have it, and then some asshole bumps into you, and you don't have it anymore. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I actively rewound a lot for the yeah. for the dark, dark nights so that I yeah. can have my laser sword. 
I, I want to say, I think that's a power-up that they've never replicated perfectly in any other Zelda game. Yeah, I mean, it's they, they put it in so differently, too, in all the Zelda games. Mm-hmm. Like um, Link's Awakening, it's fairly similar, but the combat in that is so fast and kind of flighty that it doesn't really have the same impact. And A Link to the Past, it's more of like a wave beam, but it also mm-hmm. does half the damage of the sword that you have. So it doesn't really feel the same, and it just doesn't have that power of... A lot of it could just be the sound effect too, but there's just not that same powerful effect that the one from the first Zelda has. Yeah, I mean, I think the closest to that power you're getting is like the Zora mask and uh, what Majora is that because the sword in that one's pretty, pretty awesome. So, but yeah, I don't know. It's just the the cleanness of just like zapping some asshole across the map with, uh, with your sword is a. Uh, I, don't, I, I it's it's such a dumb idea too for the game to have it's, it just uh turns Zelda into a shooter basically <laughs> but uh it works yeah um so uh Jim do you have a favorite moment in this game oh wow how do you pick one um I think the the favorite moment for me and this is just such a, a silly thing but um the the fact that there are repercussions for putting a bomb someplace or putting a candle to a bush the first time. And I, I'm guessing neither you nor Vanessa uh, had the experience of, of uh, getting a door repair charge. Um, but the first time, you know, you think you've got something going on and you're looking at a screen and you're like, yeah, it's one of those two bushes. So you go in, you use your blue candle, you burn something. Oh no, not that one. Okay. So I go back and I do the other one. And then it's like, pay me for the door repair. And you're like, no, I was almost to the, you know, getting the blue ring. Um, that minor detail added a, a level of accountability to a player playing a game that I just don't know was there prior to it. And the pain, like just anyone of, I, I would say Jason's or my age, that experience just being like, uh, I was right there. All I wanted to do was get past this next level, whatever it was. And and then you're, you know, playing for another 90 minutes, uh, trying to recoup whatever you just got charged or whatever. Like I said, it's it's a silly little thing. It's not a it's not a boss, it's not a specific area, but that aspect of the game was huge for me. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty cool. I like I said, you like you said, I had not experienced that. I did not know that was a thing in the game because I did not accidentally burn or bomb anything I shouldn't have. So because I was only a guide, so I didn't get that get that true Zelda experience that you got. Jason, how about yourself? I don't know if I really had one specifically for this playthrough, but my kind of sentimentality um, mm-hmm. as far as like original playthroughs go does sort of mirror Jim's, where I accidentally bomb something or. It was more just the discovery of the initial time of like, oh shit, there's more to this game than just I'm seeing on the overworld. Oh my god, <laughs> and then just realizing like, oh, eventually you figure out the pattern that like, oh, there's only one secret per screen at most. So even you know there might not be one on on one screen, but there is always or there could always be one. So it's just that of feeling of opening up the game. I think that was when I fell in love with this game series so much was when I did that the first time and realized like, oh this isn't just a straight adventure game. Like I've got to think about this. I've got to explore stuff. I've got to take notes. I've got to do all this. Uh, you know, as we uh, learned in my very, very brief history of everything about this game, I, I do not love taking notes or anything. So this did not really <laughs> scratch a certain itch in my brain that was there even, even in childhood. <laughs> so, but that was probably, 
the thing that is the most significant thing of Zelda for me is just that moment of realizing that, oh, shit, this is bigger than it lets on. Mm, yeah. yeah, mine is mine is pretty similar. I think it's when you get the not the, the step ladder and the raft both. Uh, just the way they expand your ability to travel in the overworld. And I don't know, it just made the game feel even bigger than i thought it was and it just added it added a layer to traveling overall that i didn't i didn't expect i don't know it just captured that small a small part of breath of the wild that it feels so special to me and that's and that's kind of like i don't know i i, I kind of got it i kind of got why people compare the two so much um as sort of like you know distant cousins even though they're in the same series but as or, or spiritual successors i should say so yeah getting that Breath of the Wild feeling in this game for just a just a just a moment was felt pretty good. Um, Vanessa, do you have any standout uh, standout moment for yourself? I don't think I have a, like a big standout moment, but um, overall, it was like it's fun to, to like have everything in, in different areas and stuff. Like uh, like I, I really enjoy like the art of the game where it's like, oh, this is the desert, this is the ocean, this is the woods, this is the graveyard. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I think it's a, it's a good thing too, right? And then also I do like, I do also enjoy the aspect of like, you know, like you're looking at like, um, like I remember looking at a heart piece and like, oh, I guess I need a, an object to get to that heart piece. I'll come back for that heart piece. <laughs> I do wish I had a map though. I always, always wish I had a map. <laughs> it's not to ask you frustrating moments. It's just to don't have a <laughs> My nine-year-old self has a solution for you. It's graph paper, baby. She wants graph paper, uh, Jason. That's what I heard her say. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, I was going to ask you a frustrating moment after that to go back to do the whole round table at that point. <laughs> Jim, do you have any, what, do you have uh, any 35 year old frustrations with this game? You know, I, I think you nailed it when you were talking, John, about um, the fact that the dungeons are the second half of the dungeons are, are loaded pretty heavy with um, just enemies that are difficult and stacked. Yeah. There wasn't a graceful way to in- increase difficulty at that point in time so it was just sort of pile on more enemies mm-hmm. um and that's a frustration because it's you know what's the uh, what's the role of the die when you walk in the room where they where they set what's the enemy generator doing and um so there's a, a bit of random luck that comes with it uh, but i mean it's a minor minor annoyance uh overall i would say that it's uh it just holds up so well uh, Jason, any we haven't mentioned so far? Not really, no. I mean, really, it, it, it my sentiment from earlier that uh, you aligned with me on, John, is uh, fuck the blue wizard robes. They just, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> just, fuck them. <laughs> that's that's God, really damn. my biggest frustration with the game. Like, I, I didn't mind the extra enemy counts. Like, I felt like the challenge got, reason, or it was reasonably balanced. It was just, as those blue wizard robes came into play, I was really having a hard time with them, especially, like, the first time you encounter them. Um, if you're, you know, still rocking the, uh, you know, just your standard armor or whatever, you're going to get trashed with those things. Even with the blue ring, you're still taking two hearts per damage with those things and they can wreck you very, very quickly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That red ring is so great. Mm-hmm. Once you get it, once you got it earlier in the game. <laughs> a... Yeah. Instead of literally the last like 10 minutes of the game. <laughs> you think they added that just because they realized it was a little too much at the end of the game. And they're just like, ah, oh, red robe. <laughs> I don't know. Red ring. Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. And funnily enough, it's also the same colors as Mario's sprite in uh, Super Mario Brothers. It's true. Kind of that red and brown. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. 
Uh, I guess I, I don't have any to add. I guess, you know, the fucking Death Mountain boulders, but that's a serious issue at this mm. point. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Actually, I only got hit by those boulders once. I found if you just go most of the time, they don't hit you. No, I, I agree. I had, I, I had no issue with them until, like, the very end where I was, like, uh, I just happened to get, I got a bad roll or something. I just got hit by, like, four of them. It was a bad scene. Some things didn't have to stay in the series. I'll say <laughs> some things could have gone yeah. for, forever, but, uh, um, all right, before we, ooh, ooh, uh, wait, I, I oh, thought of a, oh. I thought of a good moment. <laughs> you you mean a good, bad moment? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> got one good one to talk about. Yeah. Um, like when you enter a room and the first like thing you kill gives you one of those clocks, you're like, yes, I can kill all these people because <laughs> yes. they're frozen. <laughs> oh yeah. Clock, the the, the, time, the hero of time power, basically. That they it's mentioned. awesome. <laughs> yeah. So there I, you go. That moment. was, that was cool. That too. At first, I thought it was an in- invincibility thing. I was like, "Why is it a clock?" Then I realized they weren't moving. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, same. same. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, Jason, uh, before moving to final thoughts, do we get any listener questions uh, for this episode? Um, we had a few comments, but nothing really of note. Um, a guy uh, named Dave Sneed commented on one of the pictures I put up that um, you know, imagine getting this ending today. Basically, a one screen. Thank you. Now go on to the second quest today, and you know I jokingly re- responded to him that like, yeah, imagine how reset or you know reset era would just blow the fuck up with it. what the fuck bullshit ending was that if that <laughs> happened today. That's the wild, the same thing, doesn't it? Basically, kind of yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not gonna disagree yeah, just, with you. Yeah, so, there's another thing that got in comment. So, anyway, uh, any any other comments? Um, worth, worth noting. Let's see. Um, <laughs> just my mom responding. Uh, I just remember your obsession with Zelda. <laughs> Yes. Um, and actually, my brother uh, responded um, that he played it on the 30th anniversary and has a hard time believing it's been five years since he did that. And was kind of surprised that the some parts of the game were so hard and less surprising to find um, it wasn't as hard as he thought he was or as it, as it was when he was a kid because it was just that he sucked and didn't uh, have the same mentality of me uh, sitting there with graph paper, probably. <laughs> but he feels like the game has held up remarkably well even today. Uh, moving on to uh, the our, our last segment here, it's just you know final thoughts. And you know, w- would you recommend this game in the year of our Lord 2021? And I think with the guide, this game is still very. If you don't, if you don't want to bash your head against the wall with this game, um, which you totally can, that option is still there. And I'm sure, it, I'm sure it has, it still has its many charms. But 
I, th- I had a great time with the guide. And if you're a Zelda fan and you've never played this, I think you owe it to yourself to give it a shot. Because uh, even though it's, it's not breakcracking my top five uh, Zelda games, it's still an uh, experience I'm glad I had. And uh, I'm glad I, it's nice to know, to really really know officially what uh, just uh, how much they nailed Zelda right off the bat. So. That's that's all I'll say. Let everyone else talk. Jim, do you have uh, do you have some thoughts you would like to share with on the closeout here? Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, I feel like I keep continue to say the same thing here. Um, some of it's sentimentality, and some of it it's fun to hear your guys's comments. Um, I think the the story, the 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 broad overarching world, and the uh, the adventure is all there, and it's all in its eight bit glory. Um, it's cool that it's, it's, it's held up as well as it has. I had a blast going through it again. Uh, I completely understand why a guide would be something that would be wanted. And I'm just bitter. I didn't have one when I was going through it. (laughs) But see, Jim, I think, um, to kind of piggyback off your thought there, if you and I had that as a kid, I don't know if we would have the same nostalgia for this game. I think a lot of it, um, as far as like our age group goes, is just that exploration and that inability to do anything but either learn it or write everything down about it that led to such a huge thing in our like psyches of why this game is so important and so good. I don't want to say, um, you know, John and Vanessa didn't get the full thing of it because, you know, a game is a game and if it's a good game, it will hold up even despite, you know, different circumstances of playing it. It's a great game, obviously, because you guys enjoyed playing it still, but Jim and I have a completely unique perspective that, you know, people in their, like, you know, mid, mid forties to like, you know, mid thirties, you know, that both of us are in playing this game, that we were at a certain time and place in, in our lives where our imaginations were still filling in gaps for things, but also old enough to appreciate a good design and also problem solving. Like, you know, my younger brother had mentioned he's three years younger than me. But him playing it versus me playing it, you know, he's five years old. The cognitive abilities of a five-year-old and an eight-year-old are completely different. And Jim and I being, like, just that right age of being able to play this game and suss things out naturally and just having a whole world to explore and not having games that have piled on and gotten bigger and bigger and more expansive and realistic, this was one of the first games that I felt like, holy shit, video games can be a living world to a point. I'll, I'll give you some support there from uh, my my perspective, uh, and I hate to keep bringing up a, a different Zelda game during this discussion. But Breath of the Wild, I would never recommend someone to start that game, play that game first through with a guide. Um, and of course, it's more modern, so it's not it's it's a little easier to to recommend someone do that. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, the 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 magic of that game is the fact that you feel like it's it's a sense of place it gives you. And uh, yeah, you're right. I never, I did not get that. Ten, I, not, I will never get that same feeling that you guys got playing this game. Then, but I think I, I think I can come close with uh, just it. Just was a different game that I played. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I can at least understand the sentiment. Uh, Vanessa, do you have any uh, any thoughts you want to add? 
Mm, I, I enjoyed it. I'm happy I had a guide. Um, I feel like I would have enjoyed this less uh, just because I don't have like a million years to play a game. And I'd rather be playing a different game if I was going to spend a million years playing a game. But I did, I did enjoy it playing, <laughs> playing through with a guide. So many backhanded, so many, so many shots of this game all the time. All the time. Yeah, it's fun anyway. I, I kind of fucking hated it the whole time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I, I hated it. Like, excuse me, princess. Those are actually yeah. my comments for Resident Evil. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, no, I really enjoyed it, though. But it was, it was a lot of fun. And it was nice to see, like, um, you know, the the groundwork that laid, you know, that was laid for all the future games that I do really love, except for Skyward Sword. <laughs> no, that's because Skyward Sword is trash. So That's the worst. Oh, God. I cannot believe people defend that fucking... Anyway, sorry. Let's move on. Yeah. Um. So, uh, Jason, I'm gonna, I'll let you uh, close it out here with thoughts before I... Uh, do the the end of the show stuff, but since uh, this game means a lot to you, and the whole series means a lot to you, so just close it out. Any if you have any further thoughts you want to you want to speak on on Zelda, um, you know, cool. I mean, we we I kind of hit most of the points I wanted to hit. That you know, for Jim and I, this game is a very unique experience, and like I said, there's a there's a certain thing of video games that that era I don't think can ever be replicated ever. I mean. Like you said, John, you've got the basic experience of it. Like, you kind of can see where we're coming from. But the fact that, like, The Legend of Zelda was, like, if not the biggest, one of the biggest games that was ever made at that point. It was just insane how large it was. Then to find out there's a second quest when you finish the damn thing, like, oh, God, they changed everything. And, oh, crap. <laughs> it's like, oh, <laughs> this this literally is, like, a never-ending adventure to a point, you know? But The Legend of Zelda filled a role in video games that I don't think anyone knew they wanted and it set a like such an important table for everyone to sit at as far as being able to expand on video games and their worlds and their story and how they play and i think something like this would have came along eventually but i think without the legend of zelda specifically i don't know how video games would have turned out as far as like gigantic exploration things i mean games like skyrim games like you know of course breath of the wild but you know, all these huge open-ended RPGs, they owe their very, like, basic roots and existence to the first Legend of Zelda. And for me, again, this is not my favorite Zelda. I don't even think it's top five, but it is easily the most important Zelda in my mind because it sets so much up for not just Nintendo and Zelda, but for video games in general. And it's almost impossible to really get how important it was i think unless you specifically live through it much in the same way like i'm interested in the history of world war one and everything that went through it i will never get the same experience of how everything changed during that as far as like flipping from you know more or flipping to more modern times basically because of that war i won't ever get that perspective but i can understand sort of where it's coming from but i have lived in the aftermath of that whereas you know, Jim and I existed prior to that and played video games prior to that. You know, Vanessa and John, you guys have sort of like basked in the afterglow of The Legend of Zelda having inspired so many dozens and dozens and dozens of thing of works having come after it. So I guess I, I don't want to feel like I'm sitting here just like, you know, um, just sucking on the uh, proverbial <laughs> teeth of The Legend of Zelda. But we've iterated how important this game is. But sometimes it seems ridiculous to say I don't think it gets as much credit as it really does deserve to opening video games up the way that they are today. And I think that is a perfect note to end this, uh, this talk on. So, uh, and I agree. It's, uh, it's incredible what this game did 
and uh, how much you, how how much you can trace it to games we played today. Still are still playing today, not just Zelda games. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can follow us on Twitter at Games and Junk. Uh, you can follow on Instagram. Is it? A, I don't know what the Instagram handle is, but it's new. Uh, that Aggie is a game of junk as well. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you uh, off the top of my head. I don't remember either because I just made these on a sort of whim yeah. after we got our social media manager last week. So um, Some, something like games of junk. I think yeah, it's gadget. I think it's gadget game club. But I'll tell you, what, I will put the I will put all the links in the show notes. There. Yeah, that's that's a new one. Uh, you can also you can also follow us on follow game, uh, games of junk on Facebook, and I believe this uh, podcast as well. Yes. Uh, and then if you want to follow us individually. You can follow myself at John Lucero777, Jason at Jason Ariola, Vanessa at Vicarious Rock, and uh, Jim, do you have anything you would like to plug uh, as uh, Vanessa's close, close, close friend? (laughs) (laughs) Follow her at Vicarious Rock, just not too closely. I would like uh, to say uh, I'm probably the only um, guy that maybe Jim is okay with uh, Vanessa texting at like 10 o'clock at night. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's like, who the hell is I, I usually want to know what you're like, because you're dropping pearls on her usually at that time of night. So I'm like, oh, what's he saying? <laughs> oh, see, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> what's, hey, what's Jason nerding about right now? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's like, oh, who's that text? Oh, Jason. Oh, what's he saying? What, what kind of dorky oh, stuff did, is he did, talking about? What did he just buy? Yeah, <laughs> that, that is another thing, yes. <laughs> what sort of dumb shit that Jason doesn't need did he just buy? <laughs> or is he betting us that he was going to buy, but he's still going to buy regardless, regardless of what Yeah, it doesn't him. really matter. Hey, I am very proud of myself. I never bought those Mega Man X finals. Thank you. Okay. Uh, yes. We also have other shows on, uh, on Games of Junk. Uh, we have Multimedia Failure, a show where we talk about uh, video game movies and rank them arbitrarily. A, we have... Uh, Rock Out With Your Card Out, Jason's music podcast. Uh, we a recent episode came out, like I said, in uh, regards to the Legend of Zelda. Please give it a listen. Uh, and then we have So Say We All, Jason's sci-fi podcast, um, where he and Stephanie Kulak and occasionally Vanessa talk about uh, all things sci-fi. And currently, they're talking about Battlestar Galactica. You guys are in the first season now? Have you guys yes. made it to the actual show yet? Yeah. Okay. In the first season now. Um... And there's multiple episodes before that, but all the things that lead up to that show, which I did not know if there were that many things that lead up to that show. <laughs> so uh, uh, <laughs> we're all learning. We're all learning. Uh, you can follow all the shows uh, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You, know, you can also donate to our Patreon if you love hearing our voices this much. Um, and there you go. Uh, for three, it's three bucks a month, you get better quality audio for all the shows and bonus content on some of the other shows as well. If you donate $5 a month, you can get a shout-out on the show, which Jason will do right now. I got to thank, you know, my two co-hosts here, John and Vanessa. Um, We've also got to thank Alex Messenger, Josh Carpenter, and Eric for continuing to keep the lights on over here and making us feel like we're not just talking into the void. Thanks, Eric. (laughs) Whoever you are, whichever podcast you listen to, I don't know. Yeah, so... Um, I hope he writes in one day and it's like, you guys are the best or the worst. Yeah, or I'm I, doing or this or just because I hate you. I'm wanting to make ex- you suffer. Or ex- I accidentally subscribed. My bad. <laughs> Whoopsie doodle. Yeah. Can I get a refund? Uh, yeah. Um, and on that note, uh, until next month, when we are back with our next game club, I wish you all a, a happy evening, day, morning, whatever it is you are listening to the podcast. Thank you for listening and have a garbage day.